0: You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Finding truth in a postmodern world. That's the title of today's episode. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org. Well, how to find truth in a society confused by ideologies of human thinking, interspersed with social and political media, all claiming their own truths. The real truth is contained in the Bible. The sure word of God trusted and shown to be true god does not change nor is he deflected from his purpose the contrast between man's thinking and god's is one source of truth hope and salvation through jesus the christ the son of god and the savior of the world
1: we live in a world of uncertainty we see long term economic trade deals around the world breaking apart. There's threats of major conflicts breaking out. And we're, in, we're now in the midst of our third COVID, uh, grappling with our third COVID variant in our third year of dealing with this. With constantly changing health guidelines, continually throwing our day to day schedules and long term plans into chaos. They've affected most, if not all, industries to various degrees, whether that's leading to burnout from being overworked or loss of hours and pays from lack of work in others. When few parts of your life uh, have any true stability, that's that's when you might uh, might find yourself searching for something that can be a constant, no matter how your circumstances change. That constant is God and that's what we're going to discuss today as we address our title finding truth in a postmodern world. Now while the postmodernist might start by asking what is truth, we're going to begin our discussion by asking what is postmodernism. Postmodernism is a late 20th century movement or intellectual stance that's somewhat in direct opposition to the 18th century philosophical ideas of enlightenment. Now, we might not be all that familiar with what either of those terms or philosophies are about. But I found that looking at the contrast between the two helped in understanding, uh, building up a picture of what each is. So Britannica Online had a list of contrasting um, points between these these two ideas, which I'll summarise some of for you here. So the the the, the Enlightenment philosophies have, has more of this idea of that there's an objective natural reality that's independent of any humans' thoughts, you know, any cu- culture or ability to describe their surroundings. So if there weren't any humans, there's still a reality, uh, a natural reality. Um, irrespective of that. Postmodernism says that whatever natural reality there is, is purely a conceptual construct. It's the product of human thought. Um, in regards to, so enlightenment says that scientific or historic, historical descriptions are, uh, and exclamations, they can be objectively true or false. So objective, tr- objective truth is the idea that something is universally true, no matter their point of view or you know, their context. So following on from, that, from the first line, postmodernism denies, denies this entirely, that there, that there can't be any sort of objective truths. Enlightenment has this idea that through the use of logic and reason, uh, using science and technology that uh, humans um, and society will generally improve for the better, improve things for the better. Uh, postmodernism den- denies this um, and points to things like the development of warfare over the last two hundred years as evidence that um, that's not the case. Um, enlightenment believes again, because it's believing in objective truth, that reason and logic can be universally valid. They can be used by any thinker in any sort of field. Postmodernism says no. Um, And Enlightenment also uh, believes that there's such a thing as human nature, that there's there's things about humans that um, are intrinsic to them, that they're there from birth. Uh, postmodernism says that all aspects of human psychology are completely socially determined so you've got that nature versus nurture debate um, as being part of the difference between these two uh, philosophies well the article highlighted some more contrasts I think these are sufficient for the our purposes at present but I think even you can see from these five comparisons that postmodernism has this it's there's this uncertainty. You can never know something to be uh, true for certain. The, there could always be a, another better point of view. Um, based on, possibly based on you know, the, the context of how, uh, yeah, based on the context of whatever groups uh, they come from. Now that sort of co- comparison is a fairly, still a fairly high philosophical sort of comparison. So how does that practically relate to our current society in the Western world? So I think it's a little bit easier if we consider just one aspect of that postmodernism idea, which is known as relativism. It's this idea that all knowledge, um, they believe that all knowledge is relative to culture or society or historical context and can't be fundamentally true, which is what we're seeing with those uh, post-modern, postmodernism ideas. But part of this is um, a belief that any viewpoint is, that because we can't know that any are certain, any viewpoint is then equally as valid as any other. So I think you can see how this idea might make how this idea makes finding truth in the face of uh, postmodernism complicated, and you might also be able to start thinking of examples of maybe where you might see this in the world around you. So, in plenty of discussions I see online, whether in the news or social media, um, I, you, you see people talking about their truths, which has this idea of we can have these. Everyone has their different truth that's, you know, they might be very different from each other, but they, they somehow can all be valid at the same time. You have this general tolerance of anything with maybe a comment of, you know, you do you, um, where anything's cool if it doesn't affects, um, if it doesn't affect you um, in any of those ways, in any way. And I think that sort of general apathy in what other people believe even goes on to you know, affect things like the state of politics throughout the world, where there's generally more polarized views um, in different parties and many, many different political systems. And I think while the polarized view itself might not be uh, you know, based on some sort of postmodernist idea, Postmodernism is affecting it by allowing all of those views to be aired publicly, to, um, and like all views are given a fair go, even when those views might have become incredibly distorted and harmful. So, is there any validity to the postmodernism philosophy? A few philosophers actually care to describe themselves as relativists. And most people I don't think would accept the whole philosophy of postmodernism either, um, particularly in the face of science. Um, I think it's also clear that um, you know, not all, all truths can be subjective Any anyway. It doesn't matter how much I believe myself to be on a train to Perth if at the end of the line I'm dis- disembarking in, at Sydney. But I think it also doesn't matter if anyone actually agrees uh, with the philosophy on the whole or not. Um, the average person probably doesn't have a well-defined philosophical position um, or spend any time uh, thinking on that. Um, but I think it's undeniable that society is influenced by those ideas uh, when, you see those, um, when you see that general belief of one view is as good as another. So it's something we definitely have to grapple with. Though postmodernism uses freedom from truth as sort of a selling point, it doesn't mean that it's truly what anyone wants. Um, And it it sort of has, you know, leads to an aimlessness. Um, There's like no stability or assurance. There's no comfort of any sort of anchor point that you can guarantee to be true. And so we can come to religion. And not only does it um, offer that comfort of stability, of having something absolute and unchanging um, that provides clear purpose, uh, but it's the evidence against some of those ideas. For example, Malachi 3, verse 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. the Bible claims that God is, that who he is does not change, and that he is a sure purpose of earth. He is something that is fundamentally, objectively true. Further, yet the Bible makes claims that God was um, made all that there is without any help of humans. Um, so from Job, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? which sort of speaks um, against that idea of uh, the earth would still be here um, because God had created it um, even if humans weren't here. So, so then, if God exists and the Bible is his word, then we have a source of truth, a source of certainty about what is true and what is false. So how do we know or how do we, know, or how do we show that God does exist and the Bible is his word? Or to do that, we must look further at the Bible. So we've seen it tells us God exists, um, that he caused the Bible to be written, and it teaches us about God and his purpose. So our goal then is to show that the Bible's claims are true, primarily that God exists, and that's a goal that we can achieve. There's a couple of aspects to, to doing that. For instance, it's important to establish things like all the verifiable history, uh, historical um, information in the Bible is accurate. This isn't this isn't what's prov- proving God's existence to us directly, though. But it's an important part of making sure that uh, we can rely on the rest of what the Bible says. Now, it would be something of an impossible task to exhaustively demonstrate all of that in a single night that all of the historical facts in the Bible are accurate. Um, so we're not going to uh, tackle any examples of that tonight, but we have other presentations throughout February that will be uh, touching on that if you're interested. What we need to demonstrate, though, is that the Bible can make claims that only a god could make. And it does. It contains prophecies of future events um, events that could easily have hap- not happened or happened in very different ways to how the bible uh, describes um and it often makes these with very specific details whether or on exactly how stuff's going to happen or after how after how long things are going to occur again i think the the, the truly compelling part um, of this is the number of prophecies that the Bible contains, where some were prophesied and then fulfilled long ago, and others were fulfilled centuries or millennia after the prophecy was written. But neither can I go into detail of all of them tonight. uh, Tonight, I'm just going to consider um, as an example that of the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel, originally a people that took residence um, in the land along the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea around 3,000 years ago. Uh, The people of Israel then developed into a kingdom that lasted by itself for around 400 years. Uh, They fell to the invading armies of the Assyrians and Babylonians and were taken captive. After 70 years, they were allowed to return to their lands. And Although they would no longer had kings, they existed in the lands for the next 500 or so years um, until uh, a little under 2,000 years ago when they were scattered and destroyed again by the Romans, the ruling world power of the time in AD 70. So then for just about 2,000 years the Jews, the people of Israel, Existed as just scattered groups throughout the world But they managed to keep their name and their culture although not necessarily their language alive across those 2,000 years and That was that was no simple task um, Because keep in mind this is in the face of heavy oppression anti-semitism um, throughout all of those 2,000 years uh, some of the some of the Roman em- emperors uh, made specific a specific point of expelling them from cities or um, persecuting them throughout the throughout the empire. Then late, later throughout the uh, the Middle Ages, there were, uh, they were there were many instances of Jews being expelled from cities or countries or being massacred. Um, Many, many Jews, even though the, the Crusades were about uh, a lot of the Crusades were about trying to reclaim uh, uh, Jerusalem, many of the Jews elsewhere were, were killed as part of the Crusades. All of the, uh, all of the Jews were banished from England um, by one of the kings in uh, 1290. In the 14th century, the Jews were often blamed for spreading the, the Black Death without cause. And, and killed for it. And then all of this uh, culminated in the Holocaust, in the, the horrors of World War II. Yet as a, pe- as a people, um, spread out as they were, they survived all of that. And not only that, the circumstances arose that led to the Balfour Declaration, declaring British support for a Jewish homeland in Israel. Before then, in 1948, Israel was established as a Jewish state in their present land, in their original, historic land. And it doesn't all stop there. The surrounding countries were violently opposed to this new Jewish homeland. And so following the, the following day that the state was established, um, they launched a war against, uh, against Israel. Only against the great odds, Israel not only really survived, but they uh, they won, and they they vastly um, expanded the territory as they did in 1967, where a similar set of circumstances, they came out um, victorious in the Six Day War. And so, and since then, they've not just survived, but they've uh, thrived economically. And so why is all of this significant? It's significant because God said this would happen. And God said that um, Israel being in the land um, as a people was a witness um, of of his existence. Uh, There's many quotes we could look at, but for example, Ezekiel 36 verses 23 to 24 God says to Israel, I will sanctify my great great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have prof- profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, said the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. So God uses the, the presence of Israel in their homeland as a sign to all the nation that he exists because he placed them there and so and we 've seen Israel gathered out of the nation after, after nations after two thousand years to be reformed as a nation in their own land once again and then survive there for the last fifty you know, I guess last seventy years against the impossible odds that, that that could have happened. But it ha- it, it's happened just as God said it would um, in the times that he said it would happen. And, so, and there's, not just one prof- there's not just one prophecy that, that predicted this, but many, um, providing details on how and when it would happen. So then if we accept accept that God exists, and that thus is an absolute point of truth for us to anchor ourselves by, then we sort of need to learn what God is about. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there's something that God's offering to those that diligently seek him um, after having importantly believed that he is. But what is that and what, what's involved in, in diligently seeking him? So the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament describes the actions of those in the first sen- century as they preached to the whole known world um, at the time. Uh, uh, preaching about uh, God's purpose and um, what was necessary. And so we're we're told um, that when when their preaching is described, that they preached about two key items, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. These two things describe the purpose of God um, on the earth. So let's spend a bit of time unpacking that. So what's meant by the name of Jesus Christ? So Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born around uh, 3 BC. Uh, for 33 years he lived in Israel, teaching and healing for the last three years uh, before being executed by a crucifixion by the rulers of the time. But what's so important about his name? The important details aren't so much the words themselves. What was important was that he had a good name. It's sort of that idea of making a name for yourself. When you think of someone's name, it doesn't just call to mind um, a person who looks like this. Um, It calls to mind all of the other things you know about them, Uh, their personality, their character. that, that good friends who you know, you know will always be there for you or or that, that person who you know that if you ask them to do something and they agree to do it, it will happen when they say they, they do. Um, like in a name is wrapped up your character. And so that, that's what, what, what we've got happening here. And Christ just didn't have a good name. He had a perfect name. He lived a life free of sin and perfectly emulated God's character. And so this idea of a name being related to and communicating someone's character um, is made clear in relation to God's name also. Right back at the formation of Israel as a nation, God directed the man Moses to lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt where they had been slaves. While they were still in the wilderness, and before they came into the lands they would settle, God gave them laws uh, to to run the nation by uh, through Moses. But at, at, at one point, Moses asked God to show to him God's glory. God responds in Exodus 33 that, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then shortly after, in the next chapter, uh, Moses goes to the appointed place, and, The Lord descended in the clouds, and stood with Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children 's children unto the third and to the fourth generation, so we have here it says that God would proclaim his name, but when he, he does, he also des- he, he describes his character, showing that that was the important thing. Um, was part of the important thing of his name and of, of his glory. And, and to note there, we also saw that um, the idea of glory, God's glory was linked uh, with this, this idea of the name and his character. Um, and this is interesting when we come to sort of start considering that other aspect of the gospel, the kingdom of God. Because at another time, God tells Moses that his purpose with the earth is that as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God wants the whole earth to be filled with his glory. But that's not just saying that he wants wants the earth to be filled with the light of his presence. It's the same glory as we had in Exodus, the name and character of God. And how can the earth be filled with that sort of glory without the world being filled with people who share his name, the, that, that character, um, sharing their character with God and with Christ? So the kingdom of God then is it's the time that this, is, this will all happen, that those throughout time are judged by God and Christ to have diligently sought after them. Um, they'll be resurrected and after the judgment be granted the gift of immortality and help in the running and ruling of that kingdom of God. It'll be a worldwide kingdom with no more war or corruption, where lives will be um, extended such that to die of 100 years old will be to die young, where all the stresses and uncertainty of our current life will be done away with. So from all of this, we might be satisfied that there is a God that we can follow, who can be a source of truth unlike anything else in the postmodern world, and that there's a hope to look forward to with that. Uh, but we started by talking about fi- finding truth. So do the specifics matter um, of what we believe? And the answer is yes. We learn quickly from the Bible that truth um, truth is important to God also. In the, in the fourth chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 4, we read of the story of Cain and Abel. The brothers each came to make an offering to God. Now, an acceptable way to make an offering had been established through God's own example. Um, of the slaying of a lamb in the previous chapter, which was uh, to represent a covering for sin. So when uh, when these two brothers brought offerings, Abel brought such a lamb from the flock that he tended to make an offering, and the offering was accepted. Cain, instead of organizing his own lamb to offer, decided um, that making his own o- own offering from the crops that he had harvested himself uh, out of the ground, would be sufficient. But when he makes the offering, they're not accepted. And what we have here really are two uh, two different philosophies. To Abel, the mind of God was all important. So he, he, he acknowledged the importance of the covering for sin and made the offering in the way that God had set out. In contrast Cain took the view that whatever he brought would be sufficient and should be equally equally valid as any other offering but as we see God only accepts Abel's offering so the truth does the, so the truth does matter um, and so the only way we can do we can find that is by reading uh, reading and studying the bible seeking diligently after god and so this is god's truth it's a promise of freedom from death a purpose to di- uh, to help direct your life and a source of stability something that you can rely on to not change to obtain that gift we have to seek diligently after god to learn about him to try and become more and la- more like him like the Christians of the first century, once we believe these things, we're called to repent from our past sins and be baptized, and then to continue, continue to live like Christ, learning to be like God. So truth in the postmodern world, it does exist. Um, it can be found. It exists in God's word, the Bible. And if you diligently seek God out and learn to be like him, then you too can gain the hope of a place in his coming kingdom on earth.